0: Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful praise. What incredible singing. I'm Les Chapman, Senior Minister here at Hendersonville, and if you're a guest today, we're honored to have you. Uh, My wife, June, and I are going to be greeting this morning here, going into the back lobby, right here to your left as you go out the doors. If you're a guest today, we would love to meet you. Uh, as you notice coming in, we have a lot of entrances and exits, and so we have to choose from Sunday to Sunday where we'll greet, and that's what we'll be greeting today. I want to welcome those who are attending online. We always have a large number from all over the country who join us online. We're glad you're here. You know, as a church family, we rejoice with those that rejoice, and we have a lot to rejoice here. Uh, Stan sharing the Habitat Bill, finally, boy, we've been working on that one for a while, and... Look like God's fixing to open the door for us there, and we rejoice with that. We also grieve with those who grieve. Uh, Sister Karen Shannon saying goodbye to her brother today, uh, who who was a member here many years ago, and uh, I'm sure many of you remember Rick Davis. And, and so our prayers, Karen, go with you and your family today. Uh, we also found out this morning that Jennifer Anglin's mom. Uh, Sister Pearl Jones passed away this morning. We don't have any details about that, but we want to remember Jennifer in our prayers. And we've had visiting with us uh, Denisha Nolan. Denisha's here this morning sitting up in the balcony with her son Jacob. And uh, Kanisha lost her son, uh, DeAnthony, uh, yesterday. He's uh, 26 years old. And she's grieving tremendously today. And our heart goes out, Kenisha, to you Uh, I mean, the heartache that sometimes uh, members of our church family experience is just overwhelming, and we want to be there to help bear those burdens. And so let's begin with a word of prayer, if you would. Let's bow together. Father, you are the God of all creation. You are everlasting to everlasting, all-powerful, all-knowing. And Father, because you're all-knowing, you know the joys that we have and the heartaches that we bring here this morning. Father, we live in a world of heartache, and, uh, and Father, you know it. You know it far better than we do. And Father, we just come this morning on behalf of some of our church family. Father, we think of Sister Karen and her brother's passing and pray for uh, her blessings, that you'll bless her and strengthen their family today. Father, you, you know Jennifer and what she's experiencing with her mother, Miss Pearl. And we pray, Father, that you'll bless her as they prepare to say goodbye. And Father, can not imagine the loss that Kenesha has experienced to lose a son in his 20s? And Father, we just pray your richest blessings be upon her, upon his siblings. And, and Father, just pray your richest blessings be poured out upon that family. And Father, there are others that I don't know at this time as we come together who are hurting we pray, Father, that you'll just meet, eat one's need, exactly as they have it, Father, that they can know that you are God, a loving, caring Father who, who just cares so much for each person who belongs to you. And so, Father, bless each one. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and through the power of the Spirit that indwells us. Amen. We are in Matthew and... We're going to move this morning into our text, uh, which is Matthew chapter 22. And if you were here last week, one of the things that you may have, if you, if you remember what's going on, is Jesus, he comes into the temple. Uh, according to Mark's gospel, he cleanses it. Matthew has it kind of happening on Palm Sunday. He doesn't really care about chronology. But Jesus comes into the temple, he cleanses the temple... And then he begins to speak parables of judgment against what's going on in Jerusalem and in Israel. And, and starting in 21, you have the, the series of judgments that's going to take place in 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. I mean, you want to talk about some really negative teaching and preaching of Jesus, we're entering into a major negative section of it. And it has to do with the fact that Jesus is coming to his own. And as John said in John chapter 1, his own did not receive him. He's been telling the apostles, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Matthew 16, 17, 20. Mark 8, 9, 10. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And here's what they're going to do to me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to beat me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to kill me, bury me, and on the third day I will rise again. And because of that rejection, Jesus has got bad news for the Jewish nation. A people that God chose specifically to bring his Messiah into the world. And what are they doing? Rejecting their very Messiah that they had long awaited for. Jesus began last week with the parable of the two sons. He said a man goes to his two sons and and says to the first son, go work in the vineyard. And he says, I'm not going to do it. But then he later repents and he goes and he works. He says he goes to his second son, go work in my vineyard. Yes, father, I'll do it. And then he doesn't do it. And Jesus said, which of the two sons obeyed his father? And of course, the answer is the first one. And Jesus says, you're right. And and you see, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering to the kingdom of heaven before those of you who claim to be the children who do the father's will are. He moves to a second parable, parable of a man who owned a vineyard. Built the vineyard, planted the trees, built the wine press, leased it out to tenants. Time came to, to reap the benefits of it. And so he sends servants to get pavement, you know, from the wine that's been produced. And what happens? Well, the people who are taking care of the vineyard, they beat them. They, 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 they kill some of them. And the owner of the vineyard is like, what in the world is going on? And so he sends his son and he says, they'll respect my son. But instead, the owners of the vineyard said, here comes the heir. We kill him. We get the vineyard. And, of course, they take him out and they kill him, indicative of what they're going to do, Jesus, in just a couple of days. And Jesus says, what do you think is going to happen to the ones who are taking care of the vineyard? And the response is, well, you know, the owner's going to come put a wretched end to those people and, and give it to someone who will take care of it. And, of course, Jesus is like, you're right. And so we enter into chapter 22, and he goes to the third parable, okay? Three, right in a row. And notice this parable. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now, all you got to do is go back and think about how many times we have watched the British royalty either get married or have funerals or get crowned, right? I mean, here recently, it's been a lot. I mean, the very nation who is so keen in getting rid of the British you know, monarchy are the ones who love to tune in and watch all the pomp and circumstance. I, and boy, it is impressive, right? And, and you watch that, and of course, whenever you know, the, the, the prince is getting married, boy, that's a big deal. I mean, you've got to go to church, and you've got to have this spectacular wedding, and you've got all the carriages and the horses and the soldiers. I mean, it just goes on and on. That's the picture of what's going on here. A king is giving his son a wedding banquet. The prince is getting married. And so he sends out his servants because everything's ready. He sent his servants, notice to the text there, to those who had been invited. Very important you see that. This is to the Jewish nation. Jesus is making a point. You've been waiting for God's Messiah. God's Messiah is here. It's time for the great banquet feast. And now are you going to come? And notice what happened. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants. Tell those who have been invited, I prepared my dinner, my ox, and fat and calf have been butchered, everything is ready, come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, went off one to his field, another to his business, and then look at verse six. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Do you think John the Baptist is popping in people's head right now? I mean, the last prophet who had come to Israel, everybody you know, acknowledged him as a prophet except the religious leaders. And what had Herod done? Herod had arrested him, mistreated him, and killed him, just as Jesus said. The king was enraged. He sent his army, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Don't miss that. Don't miss this last part. Burned their city. Because what you're going to have is a build-up from chapter 22 into chapter 323, 23. And then in chapter 24, Jesus is going to describe in remarkable detail the destruction of the city. What city? The city of Jerusalem. The city of peace. The city that had killed its Messiah. And so Jesus is beginning to lay the groundwork Let me tell you what's going to happen because of what you're fixing to do to me. God's judgment came upon the Jewish people because of the rejection of Jesus. This is something right here that most people don't know. I don't know why preachers don't preach it. I don't know why theologians don't write about it. I don't know why people don't talk about it. But in A.D. 66, the Jewish people as a nation rebelled against Rome decided that they could somehow defeat the great Roman Empire. And God sent the legions of the Roman Empire, just as Jesus predicted in Matthew 24. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. And what happened? They burned the city. Not only burned the city, they raised it to the ground. I mean, they just pushed and destroyed everything so that in A.D. 70, after they got through... You could pass by the city of Jerusalem, a city of 80,000 people, and not even know it was there. Jesus was predicting what was fixing to happen. So he says to the servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I d- invited did not deserve to come. I need you to go out and fill the banquet hall. And so they go out and they begin to invite people from the street corners And and so the servants found them, they gathered them. Notice the text there that's highlighted. The bad as well as the good. Jesus goes back to a theme that I love. Again, a, a theme of judgment. In which he says, I'm going to open the kingdom up to everybody. And there are going to be people who are going to flood in. Some are going to be good, some are going to be bad. You remember back in Matthew 13 in the parable of the tares? where the servants had planted the wheat and then they got up and all almost there's tares growing in the wheat. And they said, who in the world planted these tares? And they said, an enemy has done this. Well, Lord, Master, do you want us to go out and to pull up the tares? And he said, no, you'll you'll root up some of the wheat. Leave it till the end of time and, and then we'll take care of it at the harvest. And Jesus said, that's the last day when the angels will figure out who's good, who's bad, and separate them out of my kingdom. He said there was a big catch of fish. And he says, in that net was good fish, and that net was bad fish, and guess what? Leave it to the end of time, and my angels will decide who needs to be thrown out and who's going to be kept. And so Jesus is using basically the same statement here. You've got good, you've got bad, and then notice what happens. The king comes in. It's time for the wedding. And as he's looking around greeting everyone, he sees someone who's not wearing wedding clothes. Then you say, what's, what's wedding clothes? We know what wedding clothes are. I mean, there are certain things you don't wear to a wedding, right? I mean, whenever I get invited to do a wedding, first thing I want to know is, okay, tell me what you got to wear. You know, what do I need to wear? You know, do I need to read a, you know, uh, rent a tux? Do I kind wear a, you know, a coat and tie? I did have a wedding one time, Blake, in which two brothers were getting married at the same time, and they said it's a blue jean wedding. And, and everybody's wearing uh, tennis shoes and blue jeans. And I didn't think too much of it, but the guy helping me out thought it was a blast. And so there you go. But anyway, the master comes in, or the king comes in. And he's looking around. And he sees a guy who's in very inappropriate clothes, and he says to him, "How'd you get in here without wedding clothes, friend?" And the man didn't say a word. And you get this again judgment scene. I mean, you look at this, and you're like, "This is kind of harsh for you know showing up with the wrong clothes at a wedding, right?" Binding. Hand and foot, throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You get this judgment scene. And the point is very simple. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Although God's kingdom is taken away from the Jewish nation as a whole, the Gentiles can't simply do as they wish as the kingdom is open to them. I mean, Jesus is like, yes, I'm going to invite now everyone into my kingdom. But don't you think you can just come in and act or dress any way you please? And it has nothing to do with what you wear to church, folks. This is about who you are inside. And so you get this incredible judgment scene. And then we turn to something that I just absolutely love, where Jesus is tested by a series of questions. And this is some of my favorite interaction of Jesus with the religious leadership. I mean, can I give you a word of advice? Never argue with someone who can read your thoughts. That's why I don't argue with June, right? Guys, isn't that the truth? You're like, man, I ain't arguing with my wife because she knows exactly what I'm thinking. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Yet they thought, we're going to trap this guy. They're trying to find... He's already cleansed the temple. He's already infuriated the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all these religious leaders. And they're trying a way, trying to find a way to take him out. And so here they come. Watch what the text says. By the way, why is, why is it important for us to be prepared when people ask us questions? Because we need to give a reason for what we believe what we believe. Jesus was asked questions. He gave answers. So oftentimes... When when, when Christians are asked questions, we're just kind of like, well, I don't don't know. I wish I did, but I really don't know. And and we need to be a people who are prepared because when people find out that we're followers of Jesus Christ, they're going to ask us questions. Now, sometimes they're going to try to trap us. Sometimes they're sincere, but they're going to ask us questions. And notice what happens here. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him. Theirs was to trap Jesus. We see it clearly. And so they get together, and here's the Pharisees huddled there in the temple. All right, who's going to take the lead? What are we going to ask him? I mean, how do we nail him? And then all at once they look, and here comes another group of people. Notice the text. They sent their disciples to him alone with the Herodians. Now, who's the Herodians? The Herodians are like the Democrats getting with the Republicans to go after the third-party candidate, right? I mean, the Herodians were the people who followed the Herod clan, all the way back to Herod the Great and Herod Antipas and Archelaus and all the other Herods. I mean, they're in there and they support this, this Herod dynasty. They hated the Pharisees and the Pharisees hated them. But as the old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Both saw Jesus as an enemy And so somehow, like us in Russia during World War II, they came together, right? Hitler was our enemy, and therefore we became friends during World War II. That's what happens to them. And so they go to Jesus, and they begin with a statement that is true, but is said with their cheeks and their gums as, as a form of derision. We know that you're a man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. And everything they said was absolutely true, except they didn't believe any of it. And so they're buttering him up. By the way, beware of people who butter you up. I had a sister in the church many years ago. She came up to me and she said, last You are amazing. And I'm thinking, oh no, this is not going to be good. And she says, I don't know how you do it. And I said, Well, you know, you just do the best you can. She said, Well, I'm telling you, if I had as many people talking about me behind my back as are talking about you, it'd drive me bananas. (laughs) I'm serious as a heart attack. And I said, well, you always have people. And I turned around and I walked off. Because, you know, what she wanted was for me to say, who's talking behind my back? You know. And I, I'm like, no, I'm not giving her, you know, that, that, that joy. But that's the way she began. You're amazing. And then, boy, here it came. That's what they did to Jesus. And so they asked him, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? You see, in the Roman Empire, for those who are not citizens, you had to pay a denarius every year for the support of of the Roman Empire. And so every man, every woman, every adult had to pay that. The Jews despised it. Just out of curiosity, how many of y'all love paying taxes? Anybody love paying taxes in here? Am I the only one? I'm serious. I love paying taxes. I do. I, I learned it from my dad. My dad worked for Genesco, so we were millionaires. Genesco people are laughing real loud right now, okay? And every year at tax time, here's what my dad would always say that I appreciated so much. He said, I wished I had to pay a million dollars in taxes every year. Why? Because you've got to make a bunch to pay a million dollars, Right? My dad was like, the more taxes I pay, the better I like it. Now, I know a lot of us don't think in those terms, but I've always appreciated what my dad said. Jews didn't like paying the tax. And so here they are, and, and boy, they set Jesus up, and they think, we've got him. I mean, if he says, no, you don't have to pay it, the Herodians are going to get him, because they support the Romans. If he says, yes, the Pharisees are going to get him because they hated paying the tax and they thought, we've got him. And then Jesus says, knowing their, their evil intent, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Again, Jesus knew what they were doing before they even arrived. Why are you trying to trap me? Enemies of the gospel will always try to trap you. You know it. Somebody finds out you're a Christian what do they do? If, if they're hostile to Christianity or to, to churches of Christ, they're going to try to trap you. I don't know how many times I've had people come up and they're, oh, you're a preacher. And I'm like, I don't know if that's good or bad. You know, what church? Church of Christ. And then here they come. Do you think I'm going to be saved? And they're trying to trap me. And my response is always the same. I hope so. I'm serious as a heart attack. I hope so. I said, but again, I'm not your judge. But if you'd like to talk about it, and you know, and what the Bible says about it, I'd love to sit down and talk to you. You say, I don't answer the question. I don't believe in getting caught in traps. Jesus didn't want to get caught in traps. He told the apostles, when you go out, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, but you've got to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. You've got to be wise, but gentle and kind at the same time. Don't get trapped. And so Jesus says, "Show me the coin used for paying the tax." And they brought him a denarius. This is the coin right here. Rodney, you probably have got some of them. I mean, the emperor of, of, of Caesar. You got the goddess of the Roman, one of the goddesses of the Roman Empire. And, and what would happen there at the temple is they would come in with their coins, but because you couldn't have graven images inside, you know, the main part of the temple. Out in the court of the Gentiles, they had money exchangers. And you'd come in with denarius and you'd exchange it for money that didn't have images on it. Now, obviously, you had to pay a surcharge. You had to pay a little bit extra. June and I bought a vehicle back in December. I went online, searched for a car. You know, this was back when you couldn't find anything below MSRP. Found a dealership. $4,000 $4,000 below MSRP. I told June, I said, we have found a deal. And boy, I, I emailed them. I said, tell me what's the out-the-door price on this vehicle. They send it back. And I'm like, that's not 4000 below MSRP. They wrote back and said, oh, we're sorry you saw the Internet ad. Yes. Boy, don't you like people that do you that way? And so they send me out-the-door price. $4,000 off MSRP. 2000 added back on for low inventory. Now y'all, I took math in Mississippi. But if you tell me you're cutting the price by 4000, but then tell me you got to add 2000 back because you don't have enough cars to sell, I'm a little suspicious. And and needless to say, I did not do business with that dealership. Their math was fuzzy at best. Okay, well, the money changers' math was fuzzy. Jesus knew it. That's why he had thrown the tables over the day before. So here he is, and he says, bring me the coin. And they brought him a denarius. Whose image is on it? And whose inscription? Caesar. Everybody knew that. And then Jesus says, so get back to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And to God, what is God's? And they walked away shaking their heads going, what just happened? Anybody watch the women's World Cup in soccer, or as they call it, football? You know, I mean, I don't know why the rest of the world can't figure out what football is. But anyway, there we go. You know, or, or how many of y'all been watching the Open? I know, I know, some of you golfers been watching the Open. You know, if, if you watch sports like that, they're constantly putting the score up, right? Here's the score. Here's who's leading. Well, let me tell you, inside the temple that day, Jesus was one, and the Pharisees and Rhodians were zero. I mean, it was flashing for everybody to see. Sadducees saw it and they thought, okay, we'll get him. We're smarter than the Pharisees, you know, aren't we always? And so these are the people who didn't believe in the resurrection. Sadducees were Jews who loved to be Greeks. That's what was weird about the Sadducees. I mean, they kind of wanted to be Jews, so they accepted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and rejected the rest of the Old Testament, only the first five books. They didn't believe in the resurrection because the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. I mean, they were a weird group of people, no resurrection, kind of a weird afterlife. And they come to Jesus, and they're like, we got him. We know what the old law teaches, at least what the Jews believe, and we've got him with our question. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. In the Old Testament, land was everything. When Joshua divided up the land, he divided up among the 12 tribes. Each each tribe got a block of land. Each clan got a block of land. Each family got a block of land. Each male adult, as well as females, if there was not a man in the family, got land. And it was to be passed down, couldn't be sold, from generation to generation to generation. Well, what happened if someone died without an heir? What happened to their land? And the answer was... If if a man dies without having any children, if he's got a younger brother, he has to marry his brother's widow, and the first child born to that relationship actually belongs to his older brother. Now, y'all are thinking about, that's not good. Yeah, yeah, it was a strange, strange rule. But that's the way it worked. And and so so the Sadducee says, so let's tell you what happened. There was a, a, a man who had six brothers. He married, he dies. His second brother marries, he dies. No offspring. The woman ends up being married to all seven of them. And so the question was very simple: in the resurrection, who gets her? You know, is it the first? Is it the last? Or someone in between? And Jesus' response was very simple: you're in error. You're wrong. You're wrong on two accounts. You're in error. Number one, you don't know the scriptures. And number two, you don't know the power of God. Ignorance of God's word is the primary reason for the mess the world's in right now. God's given us the rule book. That's more than a rule book. Don't don't, don't take me and saying the Bible's nothing but rules. But, But it's the manual. It's the manual for life. You know, Jen and I this week, we bought some bunk beds for our grandkids. And they came in yesterday. Now, let me tell you what I did not do. What I did not do is simply get out my tools, never look at the instructions, and start putting this bunk bed together. I have learned a long time ago, that doesn't work. And by the way, when I do follow the rules, guess what I end up doing? I still end up messing it up. I looked at June and I said, I can't believe I'm so dumb, I'm just so dumb. And June said, you ain't dumb, you just don't follow the rules. Okay, you know, we don't follow the rules. Hosea, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness. There's no love. There's no acknowledgment of God. There's only cursing and lying and murder and stealing and adultery. They break all bounds. Anybody read the news this morning? had not changed, has it? still the world we live in. And why? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You've rejected knowledge. Therefore, God's rejected you. You've rejected the law of God. And he's ignoring your children. That's always been our problem. At the resurrection, Jesus says, people are not going to be married or be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels. I don't know exactly all that that means, but I know that June and I will not live as husband and wife. You know, and, and so these seven brothers with this one woman are not going to live as husband and wives. We're going to be as angels. And then he says, on top of that, have you not read in in the book of Exodus, which you accept, that God said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He he doesn't say I was the God. These guys have been dead for years. He says, I am the God. And God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And guess what? The crowds heard this, and they were astonished at his teaching, and flashing on the sign was Jesus' one, Sadducees' zero. And then the stupidest thing I've ever seen happens. Pharisees decide to go at him a second time. You know what? If you sit down and play with someone in chess and they beat you in three moves, you better not play them again. I'm just here to tell you. You know, all of us have been with people where we're like, hmm, that didn't go well. It didn't go well with them, but they come back at Jesus. And they come back at him with a very simple question. Teacher, which of the great... Uh, Which is the greatest of the commandments of the law? And they think, we'll get him here. Except Jesus didn't fall for it. He fires back simply going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, right after the Ten Commandments. And he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What do you say about that? Because that's what all the laws and the prophets hang on. And the Pharisees are whipped. Main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is love God and love your neighbor. So Jesus says, can I ask you a question? He becomes the last person to ask a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Well, he's David's son. Then why, speaking by the Spirit in Psalm 110, did David say, the Lord said to my Lord. Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I put enemies, your enemies under your feet. How does David call him Adonai, call him Lord, if he's his son? And of course, they don't have a clue. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. They didn't have a clue. And no one could say a word in reply. And that was the end of the questioning. Jesus to Pharisees 0. Jesus is ruling right now at the right hand of God with all authority in heaven on earth. Psalm 110, 1, most often quoted test, passage from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And it's true today, 2,000 years later, just as it was when Jesus ascended to heaven that first, first time. Daniel seven thirteen to 14 describes him ascending on, on you know, after, after he had been resurrected, going in front of, of God and be given that kingdom, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so put very simple, this week as you go, start reading next week. Matthew 23 is a tough read. Read it with the emotion Jesus would have had. Number two, you know, knowing how to answer questions is so important for us as Christians. And I don't know any better way to prepare than to make Sunday school part of your weekly life. We have classes every Sunday after church. Why? Because we want' to sit around and drink coffee. Well, that's one reason. But the main reason is because we want to be able to know what does the, what does the manual say about how we live our lives? And then number three, pray specifically this week for Gallatin. This last week, I asked you to pray for Hendersonville. I hope you did. This morning, June and I were praying. June always prays for me on Sunday morning, right before I leave the house, and I appreciate it so much. And the last thing she prayed this morning, and be with those in Hendersonville who don't know Jesus. Would you do that this week for those in Gallatin as we continue to pray for our community? I don't know what your needs are. I don't know where you are spiritually. But, boy, if you have a need for prayers, we have elders that will be in the front and back uh, for years here in just a few moments, lobbies. Uh, if you'd like to be baptized, you can come see me. I'll be standing up here, see one of our elders. They'll arrange it. We'd be glad to baptize you into Christ. Whatever your need is, we're here for you. I want you to let us know what, how, what it is and how we can help. Right now, as we stand and sing.